Chapter Six of A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science by George Griffith. Chapter Six. Later on the same morning, the professor and Mr. Denyer met at breakfast, and almost the first thing that the latter said, after the servant had closed the door, was, "'Well, and how did the great experiment go off?' "'Perfectly,' replied Halkine. "'Look at that!' He took the folded sheet of paper out of the breast pocket of his coat and went on. "'I suppose it is the only example on record of a man's signature forged by himself.' Sir Godfrey Enstone wrote that in the small hours of this morning, and signed it without having the slightest notion of what it was and what he was doing, which I think is a fairly conclusive proof that my theory as to the disease of divided personality is pretty correct. "'You don't mean it!' exclaimed Mr. Denyer, with something like a gasp in his voice, after he had run his eye over the written page." Of course, there is not the slightest doubt about it being Sir Godfrey Enstone's writing and his signature. Every handwriting expert in England would swear to it, and yet you mean to tell me that he did that without knowing? Look here, Halkine, I don't want to flatter you, but you are beginning to make me a little bit afraid of you. Here, last night, you gave our unfortunate friend some diabolical drug, which literally turned his character inside out. After that, you go away with him and get him to write instructions for a will which, without wishing to be offensive in any way, I may say he would never have made if he had been in his proper senses. No, no, I have been, I admit, associated with certain transactions which would not quite stand the clear light that beats on the bench and the dock, but really this is getting a little bit too much out of the way. It is a complication of crime which, I am bound to confess, I can hardly follow. For instance, how do I know that some fine day you may not find it in your head to work this infernal magic, or whatever it is, on me? The fact is, to put it quite plainly, it seems to me that you wield rather more power than it is safe for any one man to have in his hands. He continued, unconsciously repeating exactly, what Harold Enstone had said to Sir Godfrey some few days before. "'My dear fellow,' said the doctor, smiling, as he chipped his egg with scrupulous deliberation, "'I think you are disquieting yourself in vain. There is not the slightest danger of that, so long as you and I pull together, as we have agreed to do. I, like yourself, have occasionally found it necessary to do things which are not exactly in accord with the conventions of society. But one thing I have never done, and that is, betray the trust of anyone who has worked with me. Of course, if you were to betray me, he went on, as he took the top of the egg off, it might be necessary to revise the position. But I am sure there cannot be the slightest danger of that. Mr. Denyer looked up and caught a flash of the luminous eyes, which might have meant anything, from a friendly warning to a threat. His eyelids dropped, and he went on with his own egg. 
of course he said shifting a little bit in his seat there cannot be any question of that only you see halkine i have never been brought into connection with miracles of this sort before and upon my word it does seem a miracle in fact if anybody else had shown me that under the circumstances i should have said that it was a forgery skilful knights of the pen my dear denyer replied halkine as he set his coffee cup down can as you know imitate a man's signature with almost faultless accuracy but no forger that ever lived could have written this letter in sir godfrey's usual handwriting and also signed it with any chance of deceiving any one who had ever seen a letter of his now we are going to lunch with him to-day and i want you to remember that the whole of this business was conducted over here last night and that i went with sir godfrey in order to help him carry out his intentions while the ideas were still clear in his mind yes i understand said the lawyer it is all wonderfully reasoned out i must say where do you mean to stop halkine there can be no end replied the professor almost solemnly for those who honestly devote themselves to the service of science he is mad was mr denyer's mental comment but still he went to lunch at the manor and played his part admirably he noticed that sir godfrey appeared a little astonished when halkane brought up the subject of the instructions of the will and asked him to read over again what he had written the night before after a few moments conversation during which he vainly tried to take his gaze away from the eyes of the man who was now his master his doubts seemed to vanish and he took the paper of instructions and sat down there and then at his writing-table and wrote to his solicitor at alnwick asking him to prepare the will in accordance with the instructions and when it was ready to come over and dine and sleep at the manor so that it might be duly signed and executed mr arthur barthgate head of barthgate broth and son one of the oldest established firms of family solicitors in the north country marvelled not a little when he read the said instructions still there was no doubt that they had been written and signed by sir godfrey's own hand and men who had lived lives like his and made their money in despite of all obstacles were prone to make curious wills after all too the provision for his adopted son was not only just but generous all that troubled him was the trusteeship of dr jenner halkine of course he knew him by reputation as one of the most distinguished scientists in europe and he knew of his peculiar intimacy with sir godfrey but that did not make his vague suspicions any the less uncomfortable i should like to know something more about that fellow he said to himself after he had given his confidential clerk instructions to draw up the will he is enormously clever by all accounts but i don't like clever people being made trustees in a will which involves big estates and money running to nearly three millions these geniuses ought never to have the control of money they almost invariably play the fool with it however sir godfrey's instructions are clear enough and they must be obeyed after all his money and his estates are his own and master harold dacre enstone might think himself a very lucky young fellow 
A couple of days later, Mr. Barthgate met Dr. Halkine at the manor. He disliked him at first glance, suspected him of all sorts of things during the first hour of their acquaintance, and at the end of the second, which was spent over luncheon, he had come to the conclusion that he was one of the most charmingly intellectual and, at the same time, most unbusiness-like men of genius that he had ever met. In Mr. Denyer he found a colleague who was entirely to his liking, a thorough man of the world, sharp, shrewd, and well-read, yet, withal, kindly-hearted and possessing the widest and most generous views of life. Wherefore, on the whole, he felt that the disposition of Sir Godfrey's fortune was quite properly provided for. The only thing that puzzled and somewhat annoyed him was the singular change which seemed to have taken place in Sir Godfrey's manner and general lines of thought since he last met him. He did not seem to be quite the same man. It almost appeared that he had reverted to some former period of his life, and treated things generally in a rough-and-ready sort of way, which at times almost shocked the custodian of the family secrets. "'You don't appear to be quite yourself just now, Sir Godfrey,' he said the next morning after breakfast, while he was waiting for the brougham to convey him with the will signed and witnessed in duplicate in his pocket to the station. "'I hope you haven't been overworking yourself over those scientific theories of yours. "'To tell you the truth, last night you struck me as being a little feverish. "'Why not run up to town and see Alderson?' "'My dear Barthgate,' replied Sir Godfrey, in a tone which he thought suspiciously boisterous, "'that's all rot. I mean nonsense. "'I never felt better in my life. "'In fact, never so well for twenty years past.' and besides, Halkine's a doctor, and a perfect genius at that. Alderson's a clever fellow, but the professor could buy him at one end of this avenue and sell him at the other, and make money on him as far as medical science goes. "'What on earth is the matter with Sir Godfrey?' said Mr. Barthgate very seriously to himself, as he drove away. "'He really seems entirely changed. His language is quite different.' And as for that last remark of his, well, really, it was almost vulgar, and the idea of Sir Godfrey Enstone being vulgar is quite impossible. At least, it would have been a short time ago. I hope he isn't threatened with that curious affection of temperament, which so often overtakes men who have too much genius and too little variety of occupation. Nearly a fortnight passed, and the personality of Sir Godfrey slowly but steadily deteriorated under the ruthless treatment of Professor Halkine. Yet, unknown to the man who had already committed forgery by proxy, and was now deliberately planning a murder without parallel in the history of crime, there were certain lucid intervals during which he seemed to escape from the evil influence, and his better nature was able partially if not entirely, to reassert itself. Fortunately, as it was afterwards proved, for the interests of justice, he employed most of those periods of returning sanity, just as such a man might be expected to do, in writing a diary in which he analyzed his symptoms as far as possible, and drew almost every deduction but the right one from them.
Perhaps the most extraordinary feature of these strange intervals was the fact that they appeared to have inspired him with a fear or distrust of his friend the professor, which happily prevented him from letting him know anything about the incident of the diary. If he had done so, it is practically certain that Halkine would have used his evil influence to get possession of it. As soon as he heard that Grace and Harold were coming back from London, which they did after a stay of about three weeks, the professor at once stopped what he called his treatment, and the result was that, although Harold saw a distinct change in Sir Godfrey, it was not sufficiently striking to excite either uneasiness or suspicion. He simply put it down to overwork and to keen devotion to his somewhat uncanny studies. It really only appeared to him as a sort of mental depression, which the excitement and festivities of the now approaching wedding would certainly dispel. A month later the wedding took place and went off, much as similar weddings do. Mr. Bonham Denyer, who had returned to town a few days after the will had been executed, was, of course, invited, and brought with him a very pretty diamond, an emerald bangle, as his offering to the bride. When all was over and Harold, happiest of men, had taken his beautiful wife away for a six-weeks run through the Italian lakes and the south of France, Halkine and his friend found themselves once more together at the Dover house discussing the events of the day over their pipes and whiskey and soda. And now, I suppose, Halkine, said the lawyer, this is the end of Act Two and the beginning of Act Three of the tragedy. Yes, replied the professor quite impersonally. Everything has gone off perfectly well so far, and now I think the time for stronger measures has arrived. Good Lord, man, exclaimed the lawyer, you talk about a contemplated murder with as little concern as though it were legal execution. Have you absolutely no heart, no bowels of compassion for this man, who has been your friend and neighbor for all these months, and your intellectual friend for years and years before? It is not a question of friendship or compassion, or anything of that sort, my dear fellow, said Halkine, looking with his luminous eyes far away into space beyond him. It is merely a matter of necessity. In other words, Sir Godfrey, with whom I have every personal sympathy, is an obstacle in the way. Progress and science cannot wait on the welfare of individuals, and therefore he must be removed. Were it necessary, I would lay down my own life with equal readiness in the same cause. Therefore, you can hardly expect me to have many scruples in such a case as this. Mr. Denyer's private impression, which was possibly a correct one, was that his friend and accomplice was a little mad on this particular subject. He kept his opinion to himself, knowing that the first instalment of the ten thousand pounds could not be his, until Sir Godfrey's will had been duly proved. So, to use the professor's cold-blooded phrase, the treatment began again, far more vigorously than before. The poison, that had for the time being lain latent in Sir Godfrey's blood, was roused to force and activity. Before many days had passed, his life was simply an alternation between the wild ecstasies of hushish dreams 
on the awful periods of depression which followed them. It was in vain that his own doctor and the specialist from London, strenuously assisted by his friend and neighbor, strove to obey the evil. No matter what precautions were taken to keep all drugs out of his reach, the symptoms continued to grow worse, until at the end of the month it was decided to telegraph for Harold and his wife to return. The telegram reached them at Como, and they hurried back at once, but on the morning of the day on which they were due to arrive at the manor, the nurse in attendance on Sir Godfrey, who slept in the dressing-room adjoining his bedroom, on rising at usual at six o'clock, to have his medicine ready as soon as he woke, found, to her horror, that he was lying in bed drenched with blood, with a razor clenched in his right hand, and the carotid artery and several of the large veins of the neck cut clean through. End of chapter 6